is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. Today's uh, the night. I think it, sorry, I think it's the eighth of May, twenty twenty, um, and I am joined by the one and other, the one and other, the one and only Sarah Williams. How are you, mate? Good, good. Sweet in here. Yeah, welcome and uh, thank you for taking the time um, to uh, yeah sit down and have a chat. Um, it's been a bit of an interesting. Um, time at the moment. How are you going with this whole COVID-19 health pandemic? Yeah, not bad. So this is, um, I was just saying before, this is my little setup. I'm just doing my PhD at the moment and um, my office, I tried to beautify it up a bit with the greenery and the flowers and yeah. have some light. So this is my nook. Cool. My wife would be very impressed with all those flowers. I'm sure oh. she's wanted, been wanting to put flowers in, in this part of the um, <laughs> studio. <laughs> um, so uh, I guess uh, just for those who, who might not know a little bit about you and the work that you do, do you want to give us a little bit of an intro into yourself? Yeah, so um, my passion, I guess, how I describe it is to see people's eyes light up and I found that passion through youth work, really, and broadly being part of more communities. And mm. that moment when you're talking to someone who, yeah, might not believe in themselves or um, might just have a story playing that might be different to what their full potential is. I really love that idea of having being that moment or a person, if it's a youth worker or a mentor, to mm. try and help reframe that story and so many are doing that um through hip-hop and art and that's where i really discovered my place yeah so at the moment um i'm co-founder of footprint enterprises and we started in 2008 to bring about um social change through the creative arts or to create spaces i don't think we can actually intentionally do it it's sort of involves a lot of factors <laughs> sure. <laughs> but just be present and, and hopefully have the space um, to yeah. start beautiful relationships which we have through I guess your community mm. um, with the Maori Pacifica community and um, indigenous communities and yeah mostly the community I, um, I don't know belong to that's a massive word <laughs> but mm. um I feel a bit adopted into is the um, South Sudanese community mm. um, in terms of an honorary <laughs> yeah. person, even though I'm still what they call Kawaja <laughs> yeah. or a, a white um, person. I definitely have, yeah, the privilege mm. and other power stuff. But, um, yeah, totally. yeah, in terms of the friendship, I think yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah, we'll get into that because that's, I think, a really fascinating part of your journey. But um, I guess for every journey, we also have a beginning. Um, yeah. So where, so take us back to where does that start for you? You know, where did, where did you grow up and what are some of those experiences, um, you know, in yeah. the early years look like? Yeah, so um, I'll definitely go back, but just to contextualise where I'm at right now, I'm mm. living in 
Danny Nong or Dobton. I call it Dobton Heights near Danny Nong. Yeah. And it's the most um, multicultural suburb or um, LGA or local government area in Australia. Oh, and wow. um, I chose to live here for some special reasons. But um, in terms of the beginning, I lived in country Victoria and um, mostly around Echuca, which is mm. you know, a beautiful place. Um, but I wasn't really familiar with the Indigenous history of Echuca. Like I knew I had many Aboriginal um, friends, um, but mostly Echuca was more white, um, more white Caucasian people around. Mm. It might have just been um, an Asian background person or um, a couple of Aboriginal people. So I always sort of felt like there's more out here, but I just didn't quite know exactly like what that was yet. So I feel like I started from a young age trying to, I was in the Salvation Army <laughs> and um, I even started like leading like little dance groups back then with these twirly ribbon things, <laughs> which we made from like sticks and ribbon. Yeah. But I, I just remember... Um, that notion of making a difference was important to me even from, I don't know, 16, I would say, 15, 14. Right. Um, and that sort of led me to do, like, my work experience with the Salvos. Um, mm. The first one where I was, like, I was talking to mum about it. I was 16 and I went to a, a drug and alcohol rehab in Melbourne. Mm. which was um called Bridgehaven. <laughs> so this little girl from Achuka's like come to do a live-in week experience in the, the drug and alcohol rehab. <laughs> I can see mum and dad driving away. And I'm like, <laughs> 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 it was a little bit scary in terms of some of the stories, um, mm. but I just kept making cups of tea for everyone. And I think, yeah, that's where it all sort of started. Yeah, right. The, the old cup of tea doesn't never goes astray, even in the worst <laughs> <laughs> worst times. So, yeah. so you started off in Echuca, yeah, um, and so that's where you're obviously born and raised. Mm, I well, with the Salvos, you if you're a minister's kid, you get yep. shipped around different places. So, sure. in my life, I've lived in like fourteen or fifteen different. Um, Houses, I guess, yeah. homes, dwellings. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we moved around every three or four years initially. And so, what was that? What was that like? Because obviously, you know, some of those real formative stages of friendships yeah. and your peers, and even being close to some family members. What's that like for you? I think there was a lot of strengths at the time. It was challenging as a young person moving schools. Um, and I don't know if you know about country towns, but some people are very embedded in their friendships and groups, especially mm. like the netball <laughs> association yeah. or the club <laughs> or whatever. Sure, yeah. Um, but for me, it it helped me adapt and get to know like lots of generations. So in the Salvos, like there was like, you know, other families or people that were looking after me when mum and dad were busy or mm. at Christmas time we had, they were also working in a social housing centre at one stage in Shep and mm. we had, you know, a few kind of homeless people at the t dinner table at um, Christmas time and so that just sort of set to me that I can just talk to anyone no matter what social status they are, whatever background they're from. 
it's okay to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah, sure. But it so, kind of led me to feeling a bit like a gypsy person. I do kind of find it hard to really like settle in one place now. <laughs> right. Is that still the case now, is it? Mm. Yeah, sure. But um, that's why traveling, not that I think you should just travel anywhere like willy nilly, like I think it's still through relationship, but mm. um, that's why that helps me to be able to go anywhere and sort of adapt and get to know people. So being part of um, being part of the salvos is would be uh, quite an interesting journey. I've had a few friends that have also been part of that journey. Yeah. Yeah. What, what was that experience like? Yeah, so I just grew up learning about the history of how it started. Um, so I won't go into too much, but um, yeah, sure. William and Catherine Booth sort of um, started it in England when they noticed sort of in the church that the church was just hanging out with themselves and kind of found like they found from a faith perspective that um, they call it the the lost, the last and the least, like right. people who are marginalised, who are struggling, who are hurting, um, maybe just need some relationship or friendship. So they went to um, local bars and pubs and <laughs> mm. for their focus was, I guess, um, people with addictions. So um, yeah, sure. Cool. again yeah so that kind of just really infused in me that kind of focus <laughs> so you've gone from the salvos um and you know so what was described to me like what what happened next yeah so i was still in the salvation army when i left achuka yeah so i started a youth internship in yep. um, ringwood salvation army Mm -hmm. And I did study at uh, Bible college initially, but was through youth work kind of stream. Um, and for me, it was just more that um, faith and youth work was kind of, you know, intertwined at the time. Sure. Um, but what I found from that experience was we just, it was like a really practical um, exposure, like, it wasn't just the theory and then I became a youth worker. <laughs> it was kind of like we did a local high school lunch kind of thing in Heathmont and um, so many kind of activities that I was just, um, at the time I was like early or late 18 or till early 20s. So I was just like a big sister to or a mentor to lots of young people who kind of seemed to gravitate. Like you could you could tell there was even kids in high schools who were lonely or um, bullied and they just sort of found a community within. <laughs> sure. And they started coming to the Salvos afterwards. Then where, where did you start to kind of really find your niece? So at the moment I describe myself for the purposes of LinkedIn <laughs> and job application <laughs> as a uh, community cultural development practitioner. And how I came to that, um, so I was sort of like, it's not just youth work, even though that's extremely important, but mm. again, relationally, I um, I was working at the Salvos in Dubton, so I was living in a, it was a kind of house church community, but we had five houses where we rented in Dubton, which was a very low socioeconomic area at the time. Right. And we wanted to be intentional about living in community so we had spare rooms where people came to stay we shared meals and we were trying to kind of 
create the alternative ourselves. True. Sometimes even, I don't know if those youth workers out there or social workers that, you know, you're often trying to find people housing or, you know, places to eat. And it's just can be heartbreaking at times um, with the system. Um, so I met um, at the time in Dandenong, it was um, a settlement area for a resettlement area for um I guess many African diaspora communities and mostly those people um, from South Sudan. And some of those relationships, um, they asked me, would, would I like to come along to um, South Sudan for a trip where they were planning to rebuild a school in their village? Mm. And they hadn't been back to their village, um, you know, since the war, like they were um, went through resettlement countries or um, transit countries and like Kenya or Egypt or other places mm. and this was the first time they were going back so yeah. it was pretty special to be invited I think and um, we went with like other social workers or um, doctors or police members went in the earlier trip yeah and um there's this saying called uh, Ubuntu, which is like from the Bantu languages in South Africa. And I remember reading about it at the time that I was in South Sudan or like probably when I was studying, but it's kind of means I am because you are. Um, sure. So I exist, I can't exist by myself because you're here on this earth. That means I'm in relationship with you. And I don't know if you know some not sure in your culture you have the nose mm. rub, but in mm. South Sudan they do a lot of that male, male maguah, male madit, and it goes on for like five minutes. Right. <laughs> it's more or less like for me, it's like saying, I see you, I see you, you're my brother, you're my sister. Um <laughs> Yeah, sure. And I really just felt that in South Sudan. So that led me to come back to Australia and start working in the um the settlement kind of sector at the southern migrant refugee center so how long ago was what like was that uh so that was my first trip to south sudan was 2008 and that's when okay. before the um so the civil war there was a ceasefire after 2005 but okay. um they hadn't the country hadn't separated yet um so still a lot of military around so the girl that came on the trip with me was working at the southern migrant resource center and helped me with my first job um doing intake <laughs> for um and that just helped me like using a translator uh, um and just speaking with people through you know the phone or the person mm. but like still looking at, at people not yeah, it's hard to explain, but that mm. helped me with lots of multilingual um, things of just learning like a few sentences in people's language, even if it was Dari and from people from Afghanistan or Iran. It helps you connect. Mm. Such a um, such an amazing journey. Mm. Mm. So I've revisited. Um, so I went in two thousand and ten. Again, and then just recently, 2018, 19, mm. like over December, January. So I think some people talk about even international development. Um, sometimes for me, it was a place chose me or a people group chose me. I find it hard to explain, but I wasn't there 
going to try and save them if that makes sure. sense. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very um, problematic. Sure. I just wanted to share my um, skills or friendship for mm. whatever they needed <laughs> me to to do. So the last time it was a peace and reconciliation basketball tournament. <laughs> um, yeah, right. 40 degree heat playing basketball um, in the girls team. The girls had no, you know, shoes, no uniforms, whereas the boys had, um, you know, a bit of a get up. Yeah. <laughs> so that was sort of one of the things I did after coming back was just trying to get them a, a uniform. And it wasn't because they couldn't do it themselves. It's just literally that where they live, they're not close to any big towns or cities. Mm. Um, and so I had access to some of those resources. So what is a what is a day what's a day look like now for you? What is it what's, yeah. a, what's a day in twenty twenty look like? Um maybe um both inside COVID and outside COVID. <laughs> yeah. So um after like working in, in that sector i i guess so i worked i did a lot of um positions at um places such as center for multicultural youth i was there almost seven years um working with communities from in my case some people do casework um but i was um team leader of the day program last year so we had a studio space and um a sort of drop-in program where people could have meals and um get to know youth workers that way. Um, so those jobs really were formative for me. And at the same time of doing um, professional or paid employment, I was uh, running Footprints um, since 2008. So we started Footprints after I came back from South Sudan. I right. started doing a whole bunch of um, mostly hip hop or community arts projects with uh, mentors from the cultural communities that we were working with. So I wasn't going in there trying to teach, you know, hip hop or spoken word or yeah, whatever, sure. but um, employing young people to do that um, whilst I was volunteering. And I was still trying to study as well. So was been doing my PhD since 2017. Mm. All that to say that, um, it can also get you very um, burnt out or um, if if you're trying to do a lot of things at once and not really um, internally looking at what's my purpose in this, like, yes, I need to get some financial, um, you know, sustainability. Yeah. Um, but is is what I'm doing what I really, really believe in? <laughs> yeah. And... Um, so that's now led me to completing my PhD, but focusing on uh, footprints and how we can focus on a, a profit sort of for purpose model where not only am I just volunteering all the time, but um, I'm through this sort of modality helping create employment for other artists, which in COVID has been really sad because the art sector and the young people I'm working mm. with you know, it's non-existent. Mm. So we were about to do a big event in Dandenong just before this happened. Those young people got knocked back about five times by council venues and 
just different ways that they were trying to do it themselves. And I really respect that. I think that's the way it should be. Um, but just through bureaucracy and powers that be, um, footprints came a part of it to, again, what I was saying about being that creative space, like being a bridge, not necessarily taking over, but we do have access to public liability insurance and sure. you know, some of that stuff, which was needed in this um, setting. So that's sort of where I'm headed. Yeah. Wow. So the, um, let's talk a little bit more about footprints. You know, how did that come about? Um, because that's like, obviously that's something that you're obviously very passionate about started some time ago. Um, yeah. And believe actually that um the first time we met was through a bit of a collaboration with footprints and a few others yeah um, yeah mm. so that was just such a beautiful project because i'm really open to people's ideas about um this particularly in australia um and i can kind of see different points of view along the spectrum so i'm not sort of professing to know it all I'm still learning but for me in terms of there's a lot of language used in um, you know if you're applying for funding you have to use words like social cohesion or <laughs> social inclusion and blah 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 um, and what we were finding through the start of footprints it was mostly young people from African background that was because they were relationally living in our area and liked hip-hop but that um, people groups, I guess, alone, even for, for white people, where we don't learn from each other. Like, like I was saying about the word Ubuntu before, if I don't have any relational experience, <laughs> you know, with you, I don't see you, I don't hear your music, what makes you shine, what makes, what your passions are as a community. So the... Um, the collaboration that you're speaking about was called culture kings and queens and um that was through i guess your your old mate jeremy nakora <laughs> um who i was you know friends with at the time i'd done some stuff with him um out in the city of casey with bringing those communities together so um aboriginal maori pacifica um, african diaspora and then out here is still a settlement zone so there's like lots of people from afghanistan or other migrant oh, um yeah. backgrounds um he was like you know it'd be beautiful just to bring us together a bit more um formally but through i guess a process of self-determination <laughs> um what i mean by that is that um again i just saw myself as the link like i was sort of like I can't um, run this event, but I can bring my community to the, the table, which was mostly in that sense, African young people. Mm. And um, he invited your mob. <laughs> um, mm. And I, in the meetings, I invited the South Sydney's Australian Youth United group to the meeting because I couldn't speak for people of colour at all <laughs> mm. um, to be a part of the organising so again, I was just sort of um, helping with the funding application or the venues or the structure of the event a little bit. 
Um, so it was beautiful. That involved, um, I, I guess, some cultural dances from each community and storytelling um, and, and open or sort of welcome to country from First Nations people. Mm. But that was the first time I saw it done in a way where it wasn't just a 15-minute time slot at the start of um, a <laughs> festival. Mm. It was like, oh, we've been able to relearn these dances because the knowledge was stolen from us or we never had the chance to, like, learn our local language. Um, so the Jury Jury group shared a few moves that they were relearning that were handed mm. down. Um, your mob uh, or the... I guess the Te Honga Na no. Ona Iwi group, is that how you say it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, trying. Um, we're there and there was, it was at um, Port Melbourne. There was a beautiful scene out on the sort of where the ocean was sort of coming in doing um, not just the haka but other, you know, really powerful moves um, mm. and the community was sort of interweaving between each other and then... Um, um, Wani, Lefrere and um, P Unique were invited from the South Sudanese community to do some hip-hop and spoken word performances. So, yeah, they were emceeing the event and um, we all sat down at some tables together afterwards through what I call open spaces or through like World Cafe to talk about what really affects each of the communities and to learn from each other. The um, you just triggered off so many different thoughts <laughs> in all of that because um, I think something that I've quite um, just upon observation and kind of watching you at a distance for a while, um, you know, as we, as we do, the one of the things I think I've I've quite admired actually is about um, is about how you actually understand the idea of kind of representation, mm. um, and and you kind of spoke on that a little bit beforehand. And acknowledging that we have limits limits to that, yes. Um, and I think for someone who's you know been, um, you know, it's probably pretty fair to say that you know you've been uh, really well accepted into the African community. Um, you know, you don't that that's you don't just it, that doesn't just happen overnight. You know, those kind of things don't just. Um, and I think I'm not sure. Um, you know, I'm not sure if we really understand what it takes to to really formulate that that kind of connection to a point where they see you as a part of their as as a part of their groups, mm. or as a part of, you know as a place of safety and belonging and, and those kind of connections and understand that. Um, and so that, that was just one thought. Another thought that I'd also had was. Um, you spoke a bit about um, some of the, I guess, the journeys of, um, you know, having to get certain events and stuff across the line. Um, and I just, I remember, I actually got this quote um, by um, Breathe magazine, which I might read actually, and we'll, we'll, we'll get your thoughts on it. Mm. Um, it was an article by Joe Murphy. I, I can't remember how recent it was. Mm. I think it was not not that long ago, but in it. Anyway, in it they wrote, um, Western culture loves a linear model of progression. 
the chrono chronological accumulation of accolades and achievements sends uh, the signal that you're climbing the ladder or going places, yet life experience can tell a different story as you travel along. Um, the winding roads um, strewn with obstacles and rejections, sometimes it's not enough to say everything happens for a reason. Mm. It's in looking for those reasons that you're able to appreciate um, that every rejection serves as, as an opportunity for redirection. Well. And I would just really, uh, I think that when I think, um, when I think and listen to you a little bit, uh, I, I, I think of that a little bit because I think, um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people in our community because they are our community, they live in our communities um, yeah. that, you know, I think would, probably resonate with that a little bit more so and I, and I would say that as someone who's done a lot of work in, betwe in between both um, communities mm. um, would probably um, would probably understand that what's your, what's your thoughts yeah so I think that's a powerful um, description and I often reflect like I had to do a lot of internal um, work myself in terms of as a Kawaja or a white person, the mm. goal is not to be a, a gatekeeper or like that wasn't the intention of being a part of, you know, that project. But unfortunately in society, there are power systems or struggles that are set up. And so when I looked at the word um, racism even, I went over to um, America because I was trying to find like where are places where this exists, where people are getting along and working together, like from different communities? Mm. And um, I found this group in Seattle who were running freedom schools and they were for um, mostly um, black indigenous people of color, but then they had a stream where um, Kawaja white people could come in and learn more about white privilege and... Um, just not internalize it but just to go like that's a part of our history and um mm. not to hate yourself for it because i don't <laughs> think that's the goal yeah <laughs> but um to understand it so i bring that up just to sort of say i think a lot of internal work has to happen and um for for um white kind of communities mainstream mm. communities. um and some people would say oh like why don't you sarah go spend all your time with white people there <laughs> like what would would your goal now since you know this to go and not convert but like yeah. share your colleges with with your people <laughs> mm. <laughs> um so i find I find that challenging. I think it's definitely important and that's where I'm headed as well to try and oh. just articulate like some of this journey. Um, it does need to happen. Mm. But ultimately for me, I find the power of when bringing everyone together. So some people do the work separately. They need to kind of um, heal or acknowledge certain biases that you have within you other cultural communities have them too not just white people like there's caste systems in some communities or there's like you know elite mm -hmm. kind of system so i think mm -hmm. it 
if we really look at it, it is more insidious <laughs> um, than we think. Mm. Um, but just to say, I just love the beauty of once we have done some of that internal work, when we come together and we can see each other. So I was looking at this um, term that I really love. It's called communitas. Okay. And I think that really describes the goal of where I'm sort of heading. Um, it's within cultural anthropology. Right. Um, so it's it's a Latin noun referring to either an unstructured community in which people are equal or to the very spirit of community. Um, so Victor Turner used it um, Communitas refers to an unstructured state in which all members of a community are equal, allowing them to share a common experience, usually through a rite of passage. In our case was the different cultural sharings. Communitas is characteristic of people experiencing liminality together. So that word is used for what I was talking about in the Selvos, those that are on the margins of society. Mm. Um, we pushed that hour but actually they're the spaces of um what i'm studying at the moment much resistance <laughs> and right. and and power um so just finally the term is used to distinguish the modality of social relationship from an area of common living um, there is more than one distinction between structure and communitas um, and so it talks about the sacred and the sec secular and some of that rites of passage coming into the secular stuff so i'm still learning about that at the moment i'm not perfect um but i really love that idea of communitas living in community um it really for someone who's got a very um broad imagination it, it, you know those kind of things um i love those kind of ideas it gets you thinking about such different diverse ways of being able to live and apart from a little bit like that quote says you know apart from the linear process that we think that we have to fit ourselves into as opposed to um something a little bit more um i guess a little bit more confusing but maybe yes. um a little bit more realistic like like life <laughs> um, but it isn't um pretty yeah. and i think this conversation it does kind of not make it sound um sexy or easy like it's been a lot of blood sweat and tears and when i say that i mean like if you do say i use that word liminal if you do put yourself in the shoes of people like even on the news um this week there was a a young um man who was um killed by a father and son while he was out running and he was a um a black person or person of um color and mm. the injustice like i won't go into detail but it's just um it shouldn't be you know happening in this kind mm. of era or time that we're in even after things like black lives matter happen and we are supposedly eradicated the kkk like this this power stuff is still um programmed through people getting raised in a certain way to think about people in a certain way so when when you put yourself even though i can't ever fully experience i don't want to fully experience it myself but my friendships when we started footprints um 
some of those people have, you know, passed away now and um, attending so many different, you know, funerals, even like marriages and celebrations. It's not all deep and dark, but um, some of those um, people who passed away were due to mysterious um, deaths, I guess, which again, I won't go into detail, but um, I think once you've been to like 10, <laughs> funerals of young people or more you're just like this is not okay <laughs> like yeah. this, this is um something that I feel strongly about in terms of advocacy and um that's where I do need to find my voice with other um white people to go like what are your biases and how do you view different communities and how do you watch the news and what what filters are you taking in when you're watching the news? If you're choosing to watch Channel 7, for example, it's a certain power structure that, you know, exists. Like, why that news? Why not um, a news where you get to hear lots of different stories from yeah, people's sure. perspectives? Yeah. The, um, you spoke a little bit about... Um, the idea of uh, resistance. Do you, do you want to um, give a little bit more? Um, I, 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 sh I guess share some sort, some of your thoughts around around that idea. Um, so I thought um, we were sharing. Like I've just tried to do some poetry myself or spoken word poetry because working in the arts, I can't expect artists to be booked out um, and perform if I don't understand the artistic process myself and just yeah. the hours that go into it. So um, getting paid <laughs> is good. Mm. If you're going to ask someone to do it, always look at your budget. Um, but I think that's a form of resistance in itself for artists who are now rising up going like, we matter um, and we, we're worth this. So I wrote a little poem. Um, cool called resistance and I haven't memorized it um, but it goes like this resistance the power of persistence it can challenge our existence persuade you to go the distance so many lost to the challenge of the dark night of the soul challenged by racism and discrimination told you don't belong those lost here today gone tomorrow we light a candle for you our collective memories lift up your so spirit each day you are gone but not forgotten uprising rise up all you warriors of the youth each new day brings a different level of consciousness keep rising to the challenge to decolonize our minds like the great thinkers through history let's not take the easy road in the matrix let's push forward to create new ways of thinking new communities to be a part of irrespective of our backgrounds a new subculture merging forward we are the futurists born to stand out Raise a fist in the air and give a hug to your neighbour. This will be a constant labour, but worth the path less travelled. I'm looking forward to seeing how the story unravels with my friend, the misfits, the forgotten ones. Still much more to be done. So without giving like a theoretical oh. explaining resistance, I think that speaks a lot for the journey of um, what I was saying. <laughs> Yeah, that's I'm just um I'm just processing it actually. It's, <laughs> it's you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to there's a lot in there. And I think um 
Yeah, it's a it's a really nice message also to send to those that that might. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people that would be that would be kind of putting their hand up and kind of going, "Yeah, that's me." Yeah, I kind of feel like that. Yeah, um, and that even though we know that their voices sh- the voice should be heard or is as equal to everyone else, like you said, this the structures at B uh, might prevent that from happening. So. Um, what a uh, it's a quite a great um, you call it a poll? Is that that what you would call it? So I think in terms of the so at the moment I'm doing my um, PhD on the power of hip hop and Mm. um, that was sort of a spoken word but it was read out as a poem because spoken word uses like a a lyricism or a flow um, where you might have actions or engagement to communicate um, a certain message. Um, and hopefully through storytelling and imagery, um, some themes come out that may um, not challenge perceptions, but may um, help open your consciousness of viewers or listeners' consciousness to new possibilities. Sure. So, um through hip hop, so I'm looking at um, the power of hip hop for the South Sydney's Australian community to develop their political voice, mm. to resist white cultural discourse. And I know that sounds really loaded. So just um, like compartmentalizing it a bit. I think, I'm not sure if you're a hip hop head or you listen to much, but um, the start of hip hop was sort of in the in the Bronx or around sort of New York and had lots of other influences from Jamaica. And it was used sort of like um, as a way to spread the voices of the community through storytelling, Mm. which some were political and some were just fun, like the beat, the the hip hop culture, the vibe of that was um, created. I see Mm. it as a form of resistance really to Mm. what the story was happening in downtown Bronx at the time or Harlem Mm. Um, and so um, hip-hop in terms of like history with art there's other forms of resistance when in slavery there was freedom songs um, you know sort of sung or even in the Black Lives Matter movement they um, they're actually a good example of that decentralized thing that you were talking about before because they didn't just from my reading of it, didn't just have a hierarchy where the founder was here and there was, you know, different people that got told what to do, but they decentralised their leadership where they have chapters around America where those groups, little little mini groups, I guess, used art and music and other things to um, influence their, the society around them. Um, so today for the community that I'm sort of talking to, I interviewed like 40 um, hip hop artists from South Sudanese backgrounds. It's been amazing. Like some of them, I feel like I'm literally talking to Tupac Shakur or, you know, yeah, just sure. like they're literally just, I can't describe the feeling when you talk about eyes light up, it's just like the knowledge um, and the philosophies and, um, their dream for the future is just profound. <laughs> yeah, right. And so this is for your uh, current um, studying PhD, um, mm. which uh, 
like I said, I've read through a little bit of stuff that um, you've obviously sent through, mm. and I guess it kind of encapsulates a, a quite a, quite a lot actually. Probably um, you can kind of see where your passions and stuff lie within the research, but you can also see um, how that how that might have play might play out here. Yeah. Um, so what, I guess what you, firstly, what's your experience like studying a PhD because it's a big it's a big job like often I I still ask myself this and I think it's a fair question why would you um spend all your time on this topic in particular and um I'm trying to do it um it's called through indigenous research methods or through um like I said in my poem like a trying to decolonize my mind a decolonial approach um to um, tell the story of our community. So my motivation is, um, especially for my friend um, E, like it's this is dedicated to, to him who's a person who was like, when are we getting together again? Like the power of um, community was just so yeah, profound when we used to all hang out, <laughs> smoke shisha in the backyard and yeah. play hip hop music and um those um losses um and the the focus on the south Sudanese community through the the media has been like a constant like over 10 years um stereotyping and really deliberate focus on the fact that they're supposedly not integrating into Australian society. Yeah, sure. I just see all the good news stories, like daily through my friendships, through speaking to these young people. Um, one of them, or two of them, they started the Channel 7, um, they did a Channel 7 protest. And sure. there, I don't know how many people attended, but they kind of had a bit of a soapbox and used their hip hop persona to, um, you know, stand in front of channel seven and say this is not a okay can you stop like if you're going to share stories about us share both stories like we're not saying there's no problems within our community but people are still young people at the end of the day they're actually some of them identify as australian first some of them were born here they've got aussie accents and they've gone to you know school and everything um but if we keep telling them they don't belong or to set a lower bar for themselves, they're going to, it's going to program <laughs> like mm. into mm. their psyche as well. So telling, I call it telling a counter narrative <laughs> um, of our stories. So I called it born to stand out um, because that's sort of a title of resistance too. They're saying, we don't actually want to fit into what you call like Australian society in the sense of fit into the 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 white narrative of where the mainstream and now I have to adapt to look more like you. Mm. But it's sort of born to stand out is like um, I have strengths, I have a voice, I have like things that I contribute. So do you. Um, but it's okay to look different. People like hip hop music or skateboarding or going to the car racing or whatever it's okay to have difference but mm. the goal is to come to together not like fuse together like this where it just merges but that there's sort of differences together 
Yeah, so it doesn't. You talk, I guess you're talking about that li that linear process again, you know, where yeah. it doesn't just have to fit and mould, you know, in a particular way, but however it chooses to might actually be okay. Mm, yeah. So, so yeah, it's really good. If you have the opportunity um, to speak to your younger self, what would be a piece of advice that you would give um, her today? Yeah. My younger self, like I'm really proud of the person I was at that age in terms of, um, you know, just taking risks and, you know, that term dance like no one's mm. watching. And I think over time I lost that a little bit. When When you're growing up, you kind of think you do care about what people think and you are influenced by external like <laughs> things. Mm. And I would just sort of like say to her, again, knowing what I know about myself now, um, that really not everyone will like you. And I found that even in workplaces, even um, more recently, the more sure of myself I am and what I stand for, it can be challenging to other people, <laughs> very challenging to the core of their biases that you won't always experience um, a genuine relationship as you, you would hope. So um, it is just to really be sure and do the internal work. This is who I am. I am emerging. Um, but, um, yeah, not, not everyone will like you. But I don't just want to separate from people either. I think what I'm learning at the moment, I read this book, by Polo Calho called Warrior of Light, which was like, my goal is to not push that person further away, but how through communication and relationship, finding my words, even if it is like, not the sandwich thing, but like, I value you, I want sure. to hear what you have yeah. to say, but I actually think this, <laughs> <laughs> how can we come together to understand each other more? <laughs> And um, and when you answer that question, please let me know. <laughs> it, it has been challenging this year. I've had a real um, situation where I've had to to do that, and um, it's taken everything. But yeah, I guess when they say when you find a cause worth um, you know worth giving up, sorry, that's not right. Anyway, I'll have to rethink that one. Put it on the next podcast. <laughs> but um. Yeah. Uh, I guess for anyone else uh, listening, um, I'm just uh, thinking that um, uh, mindful of time as well. But uh, is there any other kind of last thoughts for anyone else there listening that might not be as I guess ingrained in all of this? And maybe maybe they're kind of like, oh, yeah, I kind of really relate to that, but I'm not sure where to start. Yeah, I think those are some good points. Um... I loved, um, I recently reread the book, The Alchemist as well. And um, I'm sorry to keep bringing it back to narrative metaphors <laughs> and stuff. But, um, I think that's just how I learn as well. It's not just yeah. all the, the theory. But just starting there. Um, it was, for me, it was always through um, action and learning and then taking the learnings and then trying again. And I think that's what um, is it's not that linear approach that you were talking about, but um, through trial and error, but actually stopping to think about the learnings, not just keep on battling yeah, sure. on, 
um, has been one of the most beautiful journeys I've been on. So I think with the alchemist story, it's sort of like we are on this journey or this path and um, take note of the things that are happening around you, the, the people that maybe that person came into your life for a reason. In my case, it was initially that friendship with the, the South Sydney's uncles mm. that we went to Sydney. That changed my trajectory in life. Um, so, yeah, trying to be present um, in that, you know, is amazing. And don't be afraid to take um, risks, I think. But for me, it's trying to find a community to do that with. That's my challenge at the moment. Like, don't try to do it all yourself. It can be quite challenging. Um, so trying to work out, I was looking at Brene Brown and her message of courage and vulnerability. Um, in in relationships, just trying to be vulnerable and explain, like, mm. through stories if it's needed or even through hip-hop again, you can, um, or spoken word, try to, get what's going on inside yeah. <laughs> uh, even that if that's in a workplace setting with a supervisor or you know a, a management whatever um people don't like being told what to do so i don't think it's through that but it's through like i strongly feel this because of this um and you never know who who you might influence um but in terms of practically like new youth workers, say you're budding and your eyes are lighting up like I was, the world's the yeah. limit. <laughs> um, I have, I guess, been a referee for a lot of young people through um, just arts work and them sort of being booked into projects. I even had to do it and it's always cliche, but just all of that um, volunteering and getting different experiences um i think i wouldn't say that everyone has to just spend their life volunteering because i don't think that's fair but we have to learn some way <laughs> and that's the way that i found i learned from that work experience back at the salvos to um yeah even through through footprints but don't be afraid to like call up if, I, if I'm putting myself in like I'm a, a team leader and I can only employ a certain amount of people, um, I'm not, I've, you've got hundreds of applications to look through. So it's quite challenging to pick the right person. If there's things that you can do that really stand out, that demonstrate I've had this experience, um, but talk about yourself confidently and in Australia, we don't really do that. And I've, you know, in this interview, like, who am I? And like, what message do I want to say? Um, could be stifled sometimes, but when you find your own voice, um, it shines. And mm. <laughs> I think this is just like, <laughs> but it speaks for itself. You don't have to big up to yeah. yourself, it comes across through your personality yeah, I, think, I think i really resonate um with a little bit of what you're talking about um if people want to kind of get in touch or people are more intrigued about some of the stuff that you're doing um what might be a way for them to get a hold of you yeah um so the best way in terms of just 
the Footprints community is um, just our Facebook page. So um, facebook.com forward slash Footprints fam. We are trying to look at a, a website because I would love to get into more consultancy stuff and um, getting our artists and myself out to speak in different groups. Um, but at the moment, it's just through that. You're welcome to add me on LinkedIn. Um, but there's like 20,000 Sarah Williamses around. <laughs> so I have it on my LinkedIn, my newer name, Nyagwa. Right. Sometimes I use that so that people can find yeah, sure. me. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, like I said, thank, thanks again, oh, mate. And um, I will we'll be in touch. Thanks,